Hello guys, welcome to episode 14 of the Business Tool Workshop podcast. As always, I do my best to find interesting people to interview who can provide unique perspectives about purpose, doing business and the activities and mindsets they feel we ought to adopt to better ourselves and the ways we do things. This week is no different. I would like to introduce Teddy Rouge, also known as TMS Rouge. He's the founder and CEO of Raintree Farms, an agriculture export business, and he's also the co-founder of Hive Collab, Uganda's first technology hub. He's also the founder of a boutique fast casual Rolex restaurant called Roll Gourmet. Teddy is a recipient of the 2012 Champion of Change Award from the Obama White House. He writes about Africa's technology and entrepreneurial development. His articles have appeared in major media outlets, including The Guardian, New York Times, CNN, Medium, and The Global Mail. He currently serves on Adela's Global Advisory Board. Another interesting fact about Teddy is he holds Uganda's pole vault, high jump, and decathlon national records. He spent a few years as a creative professional doing corporate photography and graphic design, and he's also spent three years at the World Bank as a climate and communications consultant. I brought Teddy onto this week's podcast episode to talk about the application of innovation in local Ugandan businesses because I feel like he has an authentic and divergent view on how we ought to do business in Uganda away from the traditional way that we are accustomed to doing it that does not hinge on a long-term outlook and does not progressively support Ugandan products and services to fearlessly compete in global markets. I know you're going to enjoy this episode and if you're an entrepreneur in Uganda, possibly even relate to and share many of our sentiments about business in Uganda. It's past, present and what we hope for the future. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a comment or review and share with us what you've learned as well as the action it has inspired you to take. So welcome, Teddy. Thank you so much for being here with us on this week's episode of the Business Tool Workshop podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you, Paula, and uh, looking forward to the discussion. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. I think the first thing um, is to have you introduce yourself to our audience just so that they can know a little bit about you. Um, I would like to know how you describe yourself, what you feel right now is your purpose, and what are your values? <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> quite, quite the loaded question. Um, yeah. So I'm Teddy Rouge, I'm known online as a TMS Rouge. I am a social entrepreneur. I have a background in uh, communication design, advertising, um, photography, creative field. Um, that's my background. But uh, uh, um, well, I, a man for all seasons, I think, is what I will say. Um, I have quite a number of uh, different interests. Um, 
and I just kind of wander through life, uh, just following my curiosity and, um, you know, delving into what interests me and seeing if these business opportunities or if they're, if, well, essentially, if I can boil it down, if I think something needs to exist, then I always work towards trying to see about making it become reality um, out of imagination. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, we're definitely going to talk more about that. Um, what I wanted to ask was, from following you online, I can see that you're involved in different ventures, founded different ventures, um, on the advisory board of certain ventures. And so I was wondering mm -hmm. if you can talk to us a little bit about some of these businesses that you've founded, maybe from your imagination, maybe from need, um, and the mm -hmm. core reasons why you founded them. Yeah, so um, well, I guess we could start the longest running that I have been a part of. Uh, we started the Hive Collab in 2010. Uh, in October, we'll be celebrating 10 years in existence. Um, we were the first co-working hub, in, technology co-working hub in Uganda. And we mostly started it at the time so that we could have um, an answer to young technologists who were looking for um, a space that could provide them uh, as a launching platform for their ventures and their curiosity into the new emerging, you know, digital economy uh, in the country. Um, you know, back then in 2010, that's when we were getting the first cell phones into the country. Mm -hmm. um, we were you know, getting the first connectivity. That's when uh, there was a lot of activity about undersea cables connecting the rest of the continent to make internet cheaper. So we could kind of foresee that for a country where it's 78% under 30 and 50% under 15, digital economy was going to be um, a huge part of um, the country's future. And the creators needed to start collaborating and kind of defining what um, the, the country's digital economies would look like. Those were the innovators, the, the early technologists that would kind of kick the tires on code and platforms, et cetera, to try to see what would work. Um, and a lot of those, obviously, they needed a space where they, it was free for them to uh, explore, um, fail, iterate, try again, et cetera. Um, when you, you know, emerging into a, a brand new economy um, that we are adapting to, you need that space where people can kind of experiment and, you know, try on new things without, um, without really worrying about overhead. So, you know, you could just rent a desk, there was internet provided, um, and then there were also your peers um, that you could work with and experiment and try out. Um, so that, that's why, you know, high collab exists uh, even, uh, even today because, you know, the demographics of the country hasn't really changed and we're still trying to figure out, okay, how do we belong in this digital economy and we hopefully provide for that space. And good enough, we proved that such a space was necessary because now we have somewhere between 10 and 15 uh, other hubs around um, uh, around the city and now expanding out into the rest of the country. Um, and on the continent too, I think we were the second one uh, to open. Um, 
right after I have in Nairobi. Now I think there's over 500 hubs across the continent. So we did definitely proved that we, you know, we needed to exist. Um, and uh, yeah, and we still we're still here trying to serve uh, the community. So that's one. Um, the other. The second longest running, I think, is Raintree Farms, of which I'm the mm-hmm. founder and C- CEO right now. Um, and we are focused on uh, value-added processing of uh, commodities, medicinal commodities. Right now, our primary crop is uh, Moringa Olifera. We process the powder for the nutritional, the leaf powder for the nutritional uh, and nutri- nutraceutical industries around the world. And uh, also the oil uh, from the seeds, we process that for our beauty products, which we uh, have been putting on the market right now. Um, and the impetus for that was to provide um, a conduit to international markets for our farmers. One of the things that uh, we suffer from here uh, is that a large percentage of our economy is driven by agriculture, but we do very little value addition to the products that we um that we generate and uh, export. So there's a lot of commodity exports of raw materials like mm-hmm. uh, coffee uh, uh, and other you know, agricultural uh, maize, especially. Um, so I was looking at how can we actually earn better uh, and how can farmers be better protected against you know, market mm-hmm. shocks, et cetera. So we looked at value-added product development uh, directly from those commodities so that we mm-hmm. could own the entire val- value chain from garden to shelf. And um, yeah. we, in, in January, we launched our first products um, under that mission uh, of a crazy beauty oil from Moringa Oil mm-hmm. that is now currently on the market and selling. And we saw an opportunity where we could increase the value proposition to the customer to where we grow the trees that produce the seeds, we press the seed for the oil, we do the manufacturing, design, production, etc., and the selling of that oil. That allows us to be a lot more profitable, and also, which also guarantees that we, you know, have the revenue needed to continue paying our farmers very well. So that model is still. Uh, shifting and, and, and developing slowly. Agriculture, revolutionizing agriculture is a very slow process. You just have to be very patient, as yeah. should I say. It's very much that if you want to, I, I think we see, I think there was somebody that said that you know Africa's future billionaires are going to be in agriculture. But unfortunately, that kind of, uh, that kind of runs, runs counter to uh, the impatient demographic on the continent who want right. to be successful or who, who want to be successful overnight. Um, I've been at uh, I've been at this, you know, trying to build up rentry farms for a better part of seven years, um, yeah. and it's taken us that long to refine and you know model uh, our strategies to be able to now have you know the product that we want on the market. And now a strategy going forward for direct-to-consumer products that we would be putting going into the future. So, and then obviously things like COVID nineteen, climate change, right. etc., lack of financing—they all test your metal um, and your resilience and how long you want to stick with a particular idea before you see it come to uh, fruition or to right. actually mature. 
Yeah. Um, so those those are just uh, two of the biggest uh, initiatives that I have. You know, others are smaller initiatives that you know have come and gone um, that we've been tested on. Uh, yeah. But yeah, very very um, experimental in, in trying to see if something doesn't exist. Um, and needs to exist. I, I tend to work on it, find some really good partners to mm-hmm. uh, to in, to engage in to see that it exists. The third one, maybe that I will share, is uh, uh, Roll Go May. Um, mm-hmm. This is where we take we took we, you know I looked at the landscape on on the Rolex um, mm-hmm. you know craze that we have here in Kampala and across the country, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's a it's a cuisine that is very unique to Kampala and Uganda, but we've never really, up until recently, we've never really taken it out of the street uh, and really put it into, uh, and and looked at value addition and actually uh, branding, et cetera, and and that kind of stuff. So um, got together with a couple of my friends and partners and were like, hey, this could actually work. What if we took... Um, the Rolex around the world um, because it provides a fantastic uh, platform for experimenting in different cuisine. You have a chapati, you you have an omelet, and then that's it. You know, that's essentially the fare as it's been served for the last decade and a half. But what happens if you actually take it around the world? You say, you know, you could go to Jamaica and add some jerk chicken to that and spice it up with some sauces. Or you could go uh, down to Delhi and add some some of those flavors that can you know you can find in Indian cuisine, or go up north to the Nordic countries and add some salmon. Uh, what does that look like? And uh, so far, so good. Um, experimenting with different cuisines and using the Rolex as a, as a delivery mechanism has proven very successful. Uh, anybody who's had our Rolex has not complained. Uh, yeah. it's, it's been those. It's been those that haven't had our Rolexes that do complain. <laughs> right, as it always is. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah, you've shared a lot of incredible insights. I think one of them that has really jumped out to me is the time that it takes to really bring um, a product and service into the market. Um, a business's ideas into fruition where people can see them, touch them, use them, feel them. Um, and the maybe lack of appreciation of, of what that process takes. Um, and I think yeah. having Hive Collab for 10 years and working on Rain Tree Funds for seven years um, and being here to do all of those things, you are in a position to say that. I think it's really important and i keep saying for to a few of the entrepreneurs that we work with to better prepare for this process by making sure that the ventures that they start have a very strong connection to them as entrepreneurs as a way of providing some kind of uh extra motivation or fail safe fail safe to keep them going, you know, when it gets hard or when things are not working as fast as you thought they would. So I'm interested now in you kind of explaining um, why it's very important or very pertinent in your life right now to be working 
um, on what you do with Hive Collab and Rain Tree Farms and what about these two main ventures, in, including Royal Gourmet, are core to you, are important to you, and why it's just really important to put these products and services out into the market? Yeah, well, um, I'll definitely say that as, uh, I think I define myself as somebody that generates ideas, but as we know, um, you can't be, you know, you can be um, interested in a lot of things, but it doesn't mean that you're a master of each and every one of those things. So what makes it work um, with any ideas is making sure that you have partners that believe and buy into the idea, but are also excellent at executing. Um, of all of the ideas that I've generated, I think Raintree Farms is, is the only one uh, of which that I am uh, the lead on. Mm -hmm. um, Hive Collab has an excellent team of people that run it. Uh, Roll Gourmet has an excellent uh, general manager that, that runs it. You know, mm -hmm. I operate really more on a board and advisory level and investor um, perspective, but, um, but very still very much involved in the creative aspects of it, but not necessarily like the daily operations of it. Um, so that makes it easier to kind of come up with ideas and then recruit other people who buy into the idea. And yeah. you, know, you, you, you kind of nurse it along, but then yeah. eventually it takes on a life of, it, a life of its own. Right. Um, but one of, the, one of the things that I, I, I would definitely say for those that are, you know, that are entrepreneurs and very eager to be successful is that if you want to be an overnight success, put aside 10 years of your life. Um, to a very specific idea that you are in love with. Yeah. And before you know it, those 10 years will go by very, very fast if you're dedicated to that project. Yes, other aspects of your life have to continue going, but you have to dedicate yourself to this product. You look at any overnight success, maybe something you didn't hear of, and certainly you're hearing uh, you know, them acquiring investment or then they're big on the market, et cetera look a little bit deeper into their history, you'll find out these guys started, started five, seven, eight, 10, 15 years ago before, um, before they even became a household name. So what's required is, is absolute stubbornness and resilience to an idea and you won't let it go because over, across that time, you will be tested by just any, every element that can, um, that can break you will test you. You'll be tested from family members who want you to quit and get a real job. You'll be tested from partners who you know want you to quit because you know they're not seeing results and you're wasting all your time on this. You 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 will be tested from the banks who don't want to give you loans, from investors who don't want to give you loans, from markets that crash. Yeah. Uh, and depending on where you are, the environment could also be you know will will test you. The political environment will test you. The international community will test you so all of those are supposed to be areas in which they essentially it is a training ground to be able to say if up to 10 years you've been able to conquer every other challenge that comes at you you deserve uh the title of overnight success yeah you have arrived but you really put in the sweat equity uh to making sure your innovation or your you know or your, your startup or your you know business venture uh, deserves to exist in the market 
And because yeah. you have kept your eye on the ball to make yeah. sure you have systems to make sure that it stands up, that you have, you know, a market strategy to, to stand up and you definitely have a revenue model to feed this innovation because a business does not exist if it does not have a revenue model. Yeah, I mean, I think there's loads that our audience is going to extract from this conversation. Um, I'm trying to quickly write everything that you're saying to recap it, but I might just do that on the outro and let you speak and allow us to go ahead with the interview. Um, though early, yeah, so though earlier on, um, you presented something interesting around building the right teams and ventures running on their own which is not, I would venture to say, it's not our traditional model in Uganda. So, you know, we think of the entrepreneur as, you know, the, the sole person pushing and doing everything, which is fine. Um, but that's not to say that there aren't other ways of doing it like you have, where you involve mm -hmm. partners or people keen on the same ideas and bringing the same products and services to fruition in the same market and partnering with those people. Um, mm -hmm. I think... That's really interesting to me because I'm kind of on a journey of discovering myself and again, really strong, strongly encouraging the entrepreneurs and business people that I work with, work with to do the same. Um, and what you just described sounds to me, I don't know if you've done any personality tests. Have you? I don't even know how to do that. Okay, right. What you've described that, that I've only just recently discovered myself is a personality type called the campaigner. So mm. when it comes to conceiving ideas and starting projects and involving other people, campaigners have an exceptional talent um, of getting people together and on board. And I think that's a really... Um, interesting model that you've obviously proved works and that can um, help push on things in the long term. So I just really wanted to extract that for our audience in terms of, you know, understanding who they are and, and the models based on who they are that they can adopt in their businesses. I'll send you a link. So Agreed. That's you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to know. That's good to know. <laughs> Yeah, so we can venture on more, uh, much deeper into the reason I brought you on here, which is innovation. I am wondering how you would describe it, and also if you can share some local useful applications of innovations in businesses that are operating right now. Mm. Um, so, uh, the way I look at it, you know, yeah, we throw the word innovation around yeah. um, uh, a lot when it comes to entrepreneurship, et cetera, et cetera. The way I look at it, and I think it's someone might have actually uh, disambiguated the difference between whether something is an innovation or just simply an idea. An innovation to me is something that solves a problem, but also has a business model attached to it. So um, if you find a problem in your community and you're able to actually monetize your solution to said problem, then you have an innovation. Otherwise, it remains just an idea because right. one, you haven't scaled it and two, you haven't monetized it. It just stays as an idea. And the, the act of monetizing is the act of building it. Because as we talked previously before, you can't have a business that doesn't have a, that doesn't have a, 
uh, revenue models to help sustain it because that innovation becomes an entity in and of itself, right? right. It can right. run by itself because it continues to solve a problem for a multitude of people and generations on. So, uh, <clears throat> so to me, that's the way I look at, you know, kind of an innovation. It can be, and, and we, we, we often, um, make the mistake of tying the term innovation to only digital solutions. Um, right. And I think that's actually wrong because even down to at village level, you can see innovations that are happening even outside of you know, the digital realm. Um, whoever, you know, if, if I could really drill deep down to village level, whoever came up with the idea that, hey, if you flatten a piece of metal, sharpen one end of it, and then put a stick in it, you can use that to dig into the ground to be able to plant easier, right? Yeah. As opposed to doing it by your hand. That's innovation. That has solved something. And whoever makes that tool makes, continues to make money. It's just so that no one necessarily owns the patent to that. So whoever is able to make that and actually sell it to, yeah. you know, to people, that's yeah. someone that has innovated that. So then, and then we move on and somebody looked and saw, hey, we can actually, you know, mechanize that and put it, you know, behind a horse. And then you have a horse drawn, um, uh, what do they call it? A horse, a horse or, a, yeah, carriage. No, not necessarily a carriage, but uh, to, to ply the field um, oh, right. uh, behind, like a, behind an ox. I, right. Like a plow, right? Somebody said, hey, we could actually do much, much more if you actually, you know, use the force of an ox to actually pull this plow so that you can make bigger that's innovation right that's analog innovation so plenty of ideas like that like well, for example a well is an innovation that somebody monetizes yeah to be able yeah. to pull water out of the ground a water yeah. pump is an innovation all of yeah. these are innovations that we 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 kind of look at as just commonplace but somebody came up with that and somebody yeah. thought hey we can actually build this um, or we can monetize this and, and put it into communities to be able to advance um, and, and make life easier um, going forward. That's what innovations do. They take something previously mundane or difficult and make yeah. it easier, thereby advancing society and making it easier so that we can concentrate on other things. We know longer walk everywhere somebody innovated the wheel we made a bicycle out of it somebody said oh what if we what if we uh, add a motor to this um, yeah and then suddenly you know somebody thought oh hey that could actually work and you know hey, what if we made four wheels and then you could have a truck henry ford you know solves that now we have trucks and you know speeding vehicles and we have formula one out of all of that that innovation always advancing um society forward so that we worry we have other things you know, to be able to worry about uh so that's the way kind of you know that's a long way of explaining innovation and ideas yeah i quite like the explanation you know build something that solves a problem or that makes things easier and then monetize it um, monetize it so that you can build more of it, sell more of it, you know, support the scale of it and the people that you're serving. I think that's really, really easy to understand. I was going to ask you how someone can start to apply innovation. You answered it already. Um, yeah. Again, which is build it or, you know, refine whatever is already existing and then sell it. I also love your examples, you know, the well, 
um, the person who's trying to plant, the person who's trying to cultivate a, lar a large piece of land. That's quite common here. Um, I like that you also extracted that it's not only digital. I think that's really important mm -hmm. for our audience as well. The only thing I would add, and I wonder what, what you think is, many times we think of innovating a product, but you and I know, and a lot of our audience can appreciate that a lot of thriving economies have innovated a lot of services. And so I'd really mm. like to encourage our local entrepreneurs to innovate services. You know, someone calls and tells you that, I don't know, a lot of people come to ask them for advice and, and I, they're providing maybe personal solutions to, you know, everyday problems based on what they've gone through. And they've helped a lot of people go through this and go through that. And I say, you know, why not become, I don't know, a life coach or a teen coach or whatever and charge for that service and, you know, structure yeah. it into this thing that will provide long-term value. I don't know what you think about that. So one of the challenges we have is that we are overly protective about our ideas and methodologies. Ideas are a dime a dozen. Execution is unique to the individual. So we may have somebody who comes up with an idea, uh, but then decides not to talk, not to tell anybody about it uh, because they don't want you know that person to steal the idea or somebody else to steal the idea right. and they may never tell somebody about it but they you know wait two weeks a month or maybe even two years with the idea and then suddenly that idea is on the market right yeah. but it's executed a little bit differently so it's not about you know so much stuff I, I think that's why we really kind of created hive collab because we thought in order for the digital economy in uganda to actually work we have to have we have to get away from this idea of idea protection into the a collaborative environment where we can bounce ideas off of each other and yeah. um, collaborate on some of these ideas to make sure, to see that they come to fruition. They, yeah. they, there are 1,001 ways to actually execute on an idea. Yeah. Um, so we shouldn't be so afraid about <clears throat> not sharing or even mentoring. I mentor um, a ton of people all of the time. And I even bring them into uh, rain tree farms to actually you know, show people, you know, this is how we're uh, looking at manufacturing this crop. This is the kind of innovation we're bringing to it. This mm -hmm. is, you know, this is how we want to do it. Because the way I look at it, I'm like, you know what? Moringa globally is a $7.1 billion market. That's globally. Mm -hmm. What am I doing holding on to these ideas when I can actually just say, hey, I would love to Uganda for Uganda to take a slice of that entire market. So mm -hmm. whether I have five competitors or 100 competitors, Uganda wins because right. the market is so massive that yeah. there's no way me, myself, and I or, you know, as rain tree farms, that we could service the entire world with that, yeah. you know, not with India owning 82% of the market. No. Yeah. But why don't we work together so that we can brand Uganda as, you know, as the, um, as the uh, country that produces, like, the best Moringa in the world? Why, do, why don't we set that as a mission so that we all succeed? You know, mm -hmm. if I was if I was just by my little self in Cindy, you know, working on this idea, processing moringa, et cetera, et cetera, that mm -hmm. wouldn't build a market domestically. 
you know, I wouldn't have yeah. any customers or I would have a, a really tough time building a, a local customer base for my Moringa products. But if we had 10, 20 other companies that are also working on Moringa products and then increasing market share, they make it easy for me to sell my products because, you know, they have helped the market to be more aware of the product that we actually do. So, you know, in that service, I have helped a lot of companies in Moringa to actually establish. When we come to Masindi to learn how we do things, etc., we readily give them the knowledge that we have done because over seven years, I guarantee you, we've made a lot of mistakes. So our motto is like, we've made all of the mistakes, come and we teach you what not to do when you're getting started so that you shortcut you know our seven years into one or two years uh, yeah. of yourself getting up getting up and going that's a mind-blowing insight i really pray and hope our audience has captured that that whole idea of collaborative environment for sharing ideas um, versus idea protection would change so much and as you aptly put, will benefit everybody, you, the people acquiring the information and sharing it with people to shortcut some mm. of the challenges, them that are just getting into the market, the community of people who you serve who can get better refined products and services, the country. I mean, that's really, really amazing. It's not commonplace thought, but I think conversations like this are beginning in showing people the benefits for everyone if they adopted that kind of mindset. So thank you very much. Yes, indeed. Indeed, because I think across many sectors, if you grow the pie, you will have a lot more to eat than if you, you, right. know, if you just stick to the idea just by yourself. And you're like, oh, you know, I'm keeping this pie to myself. I'm right. Not share, I'm not share. But imagine if you shared with everybody and everybody was making pie. Does that mean there's... That's, it, this is just more for yeah. everybody to enjoy you know, exactly. because you have a lot more people coming in um, because you might have a limited creativity on this particular idea. But yeah. imagine if you bring in five, six other people who have fantastic ideas. Now you have massive right. variety that you right. could also enjoy. Yeah, you enjoy your own pie, but imagine going next door and this guy makes an amazing pie out of something you didn't even think about. Now you exactly. can you know, enjoy your field of experience and everybody enjoys. But if we stay protected, we never really truly get to enjoy the creativity of humanity around us, right? Yeah. We never get to enjoy that, right? You, you, right. You're just limited by your, by your blinders. You don't get to see like all of these people have ideas and creative ways to execute on this very same idea that I have, we yeah. could all benefit from everybody knowing about our pie. And I use, uh, you know, I use pie as a euphemism for any, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's really great stuff. It's really useful. And I mean, and some of us that have already previously conceived it, I think it's still just a great reminder on how important it is. Um, I would be so surprised if you are not a campaigner in terms of your personal personality. But again, um, we'll move on. Uh, one of the final things that I wanted to ask you, um, and it's interesting that you bring up our fears 
um, and our conditioning, especially in this society and how it translates into our business. Because one of the things that I've seen is new and existing entrepreneurs here in Uganda, considering entering into a new market or introducing a new product or ser service, um, but afraid of trying to do something differently or innovatively like we've been speaking about because our culture yeah. encourages the business mm -hmm. owner to do what teddy seems to be doing successfully seems to have no idea what he's doing right we just oh, yeah yeah <laughs> he's doing it successfully yeah. we have no idea yeah so i was wondering what you would say to these people to encourage them to go against the grain not to say you know, be stupid and totally ignore the risks, but go against the yeah, grain, yeah. apply themselves more, you know, come up with more flavors of pies. What would you say to them? So, yeah, that's an interesting and very unique thing to Uganda. Well, I can speak to Uganda, but I don't know about other countries on the continent. But <laughs> imagine you go to a market and you want to buy tomatoes. And what's interesting when you go to a market, an open, an open market um, anywhere here in Uganda, is that you find 20, 10, 20, 30 women selling the same tomato. No differentiation, same tomato. You go from exact one woman to the thing. other, same, yeah. same stack of tomatoes, same, the same stack of tomatoes, on and on and on and on. Completely no differentiation, right? Now imagine out of that um, assemblage of women selling the same product, one of them decided, you know what, let me do minor value addition. Let me go ahead and cut and slice this tomato, right? So that the customer don't, doesn't have to do that, right? You know, right. you get home, you empty this box into your souffle, and then you're ready to fry, right? Exactly. I've done the job of removing, of, I, I, I've moved the product one level up and, and, uh, and removed extra work from you. Right? What yeah. is the price of that additional value addition? Now imagine if they branded it really well. Now imagine if they, if it was, you know, not on the ground, you know, in the dirt where yeah. you're walking, but up on a table, but also in a very nice packaging with labels, etc. And not that much higher price than the, the tomatoes that are stacked um, on the ground by you know 15 other women imagine if someone was actually able to actually say you know what let me differentiate myself from the crowd and actually be able to do that i guarantee you 15 20 uh days or weeks later a majority of these women will actually also do that very do same, same value addition because they, <laughs> yeah. yeah huh because you yeah. will see they will see this other woman is like why is she successful yeah? Yeah. I also want to do that, that very, the very same thing. But yeah. the problem is we have very few people willing to venture outside of the box. Yeah. We copy paste within a particular comfort zone that doesn't allow us to really get out of that and push the boundaries of what is, what is, what is possible and what we are capable of. Right. So it, 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 it limits uh, how fast a market can grow because we don't have um, we don't have a venturing spirit to go beyond what the median person on the street is actually doing. We copy paste within the same safe zone. So yeah. I, I'll, I'll bring it back to moringa. Um, when moringa was introduced in Uganda as a commercial crop, nearly every farmer um, in the country was like, I want to plant moringa, I want to plant moringa, I want to plant moringa. 
but mm-hmm. nobody understood why they wanted to plant mulling and what you know what you know, what they brought to the table, what they were going to do different to differentiate themselves. Right? Everybody right. heard you know this other person is planting mulling, so let, let me also plant. But nobody you know dug deep enough to actually be able to say, hey, let's differentiate ourselves. So when that entire economy collapsed, it collapsed because nobody was willing to go out of their comfort zone to actually do the value addition to actually, you know, differentiate themselves. So when I came in, I was like, oh, I can immediately see exactly how we can differentiate ourselves. And now we've established, and now other companies are coming in and I say, hey, we also want to do the same thing. But we elevated um, the level at which you're able to produce moringas in order for you to get into international market, you have to beat us. We set the standard, you have to beat us. You have to elevate yeah. yourself to get to our level or higher. Right. Because if you do that, then we all, you know, we all succeed and we all bring, you know, you know, uh, rising tide with all boats, as they say. Um, so to me, that fear of stepping outside the box, um, mm-hmm. really holds us back as, you know, potential innovators and, um, um, and also, and before you, before you even go further, I dare I say it's a self-perpetuating thing that we self-enforce each other to stay within a particular comfort zone. That's facts. Um, there, there, is, there is this idea about when someone steps outside everybody's comfort zone and it, it, you know, becomes this person that is, wants to be different, mm-hmm. we put all. And, and, and that difference is scary to most people. So instead of learning how he did it or her, how she did it, we put they them engage down. In, we engage in this, in this effort and energy to tear them down, to bring yep. them down to a level we are comfortable with. So if we are all in poverty, we are comfortable with all of us being in poverty. So if yep. anyone tries to break out of that paradigm, we bring them down instead of learning, hey, how did you do it? Right. right. So that I can also be do the it. same way. Yeah, so that I can also do it, so that I can lift all other boats. And I think that's where I think I, I'm a little bit um, of an anomaly here in, in Uganda. The way I approach ideas and execute and share, I'm, I always stick out with my yeah. ideas and the way I execute them. But I never worry about people trying to bring me down. I Because part of that is because I'm always open in how I share my ideas. Mm-hmm. And how did I do this and how did I do that? You know, mm-hmm. do obviously to a limit. If you know, if I have a particular recipe that is really, you know, that is really came to my restaurant, yeah, I'm not gonna share that. But you know, I can help you with yours and say, hey, here's how to look at a recipe so that you can also get to develop a unique um, one of your own. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. Here's yeah. how you can you can approach this and then execute a little bit differently. That's scary, actually, to most Ugandans because yeah. they don't want to do the sweat, sweat equity that is required to be unique. Yeah. Right? They, wanna, they, they, they want you to give them a blueprint they can just follow as opposed to actually being able to say, hey, here's how you create your own yeah. blueprint so that you can be more successful. It's really, really interesting. I like some of the things that you mentioned. And for our audience, I think you mentioned having an adventurous spirit. Mm. And I think... That's not careless at all. That's really, really important. Um, you mentioned sharing, and especially for people who are just starting out or trying to venture out into something new and different, 
um, the learning aspect. So reaching out to other people who are doing the same or, you know, above them, maybe on the same journey or path and trying to understand the process around developing something of their own is really, really important. So thank you so much for this really, really important conversation. I think one of the reasons that I brought you on here for our audience is because of how differently you do things from following you online not closely in person, but from following you online, how <laughs> it appears you do things and you think about things and how you express them. I think there is a lot that I can learn from you and many of the entrepreneurs and our, our audience in general, Ugandans in general, can learn from how you do things, approaching them differently and getting maybe even better results than we've gotten before. So thank you so, so, so much, Teddy. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to uh, to join the conversation, and I think right now is a, is a perfect time to actually be having these conversations. Our demographic remains very young, malleable, and the best education I think for uh, for everybody at this state is actually really outside the classroom. So the more conversations like this that we uh, have and share can spark an idea in somebody down the road. Uh, even if you don't hear from them, you might plant a seed to help somebody. So, yeah, thanks for the conversations. Keep them up, and uh, hopefully they're helpful to someone. Yes. Before I let you go, though, um, these conversations are typically so short, and we cover these broad topics that you and I both can't go into detail about, and, you know, we don't also have the luxury, neither does our audience, of having one-on-ones. So if people wanted to connect with you and find you or any of the businesses or ventures that you've mentioned, where can they do that? Um, usually that my best engagement is usually on Twitter. So you can find me at TMS Rouge. Um, mm -hmm. That, you know, essentially you can go to my profile and that has a link to all of my uh, various endeavors. Okay, great. Good. Thank you so much. That was a fantastic interview, guys, wasn't it? I am so very grateful that Teddy made the time to have this conversation with us for our collective benefit. The three key takeaways I want to highlight for all of you are, one, innovation does not only apply to technology-based businesses. It can be a simple modification on an everyday product or service that solves a gap for a community. I really, really, really love Teddy's borehole example. The second thing is that you're onto an innovation when you have tested a revenue model for your innovative product or service without a revenue model and without putting it into action to actually generate income all you have is an idea and we all know that ideas are a dime a dozen the final thing is that be fearless be fearless, my lovely fellow Ugandan entrepreneurs. Do not be afraid to take the risk to do things differently in your businesses and the markets you operate in. This is where the magic happens. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the work of Tess Advisory Services. I will see you next time. In the meantime, go out there and be extraordinary. God bless you.